Tommy, what are the top five things the listener should do while listening to this podcast? All right. Number one, subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Number two, leave a five-star review. Number three, follow us on Instagram. Number four, follow us on Twitter. Both handles are seen at pod. Number five, tell a friend to listen. High Fidelity, coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening to us today. This is a podcast where at least one of us is watching this movie for the first time. And today, that person is me. Tommy, how you doing right now? Pretty good. And I'm very excited to talk about this movie. It's uh, probably my top 10 overall. Uh, so. Very excited to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I can see that. So yeah, today we're, we're covering High Fidelity. This is Tommy's pick of the month. It's very clearly one of his favorites I, that he, he's told me. He's told me, you've recommended this to me a bunch of times. Yeah, so that's why I got the pot. <laughs> yeah, so, to, so it's, you know, it's a 2000 Amer- American romantic comedy drama directed by Stephen Fears, starring John Cusack. Ivan Hijali, Jack Black, and Lisa Bonnet. Uh, yeah, it's a it was a very good movie. Uh, I'm gonna say that right now because I would it wasn't what I expected, and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it right here on Haven't Seen It. Rob Gordon on First Loves. My relationship with Allison Ashmore lasted for six hours. The two hours after school, before the Rockford Files, for three days in a row. But on the fourth afternoon, Kevin Bannister. Skank. High Fidelity, a comedy about love, loss, and other pop favorites. I'm looking for a record for my daughter. I just called to say I love you. There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. Is she in a coma? Starts Friday, March 31st. So, Tommy, give me a little rundown about your history with High Fidelity. Tell me what you what your first thoughts were and what you thought kind of going into it again for a new watch. So first time I ever uh, got tuned into high fidelity was in sophomore year of high school. Um, I read the book during detention one day, um, loved the book and was like, okay, immediately this is everything I love. And like, Oh my God, like so many music references jumping off the page. And so uh, this was in like 2008. So I asked my mom to rent it on Netflix Back when you had to rent Netflix on the DVDs, remember back in the day? <laughs> I do. I, I think I only did it once, and it was Citizen Kane and and Saturday Night Fever. Those were the two Netflix movies on DVD yep. I got. You went for the highbrow. I went for I, slightly less, but I went for more of uh, the music uh, nerd in me. So um, I wouldn't say that. I would say this is for the genre it's in. It's pretty high. Like it's. I think it's a higher quality film than Saturday Night Fever. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, as someone who's ever seen Saturday Night Fever, I can't, I can't test. So different movies, but I, I've enjoyed it. Um, there is so much wit in this movie. It's the script really drives the pace and you can feel it in the editing too. I was actually, when we were trying to pick out clips, we want to play some of them are going to be longer today because I, I was finding it very hard to find like good cutoff points 
that didn't take you completely out of context because a scene can be two minutes and there's no break in the action. There's no break in the dialogue where you're listening to something like the matrix, like the agent Smith rant, a lot of pauses in his speak, Tommy, a lot of this, a lot of that. This is high octane and it's all driven by the dialogue, which I I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. The dialogue itself is one thing that like really works a lot in this movie. Uh, Like I said, uh, with the book as with the book, um, movie has so many just great references uh, great like talking points great just it feels like you're with the cut people in a record store which of course is what this movie's about <laughs> so um you know you watch it over and over again and then you're just like okay this is great and it's one of the f- uh, few rare movies that pulls off essentially narration and you don't really think about it and it's like cool it's basically a lot of this movie is john cusack who owns the record store um championship final um, talking to the camera pretty much and just narrating stuff about his life. Um, pretty much almost reading off the book, like uh, Nick Hornby, the guy who wrote this book, said. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. He said I was. it actually felt like John Cusack had read my book before, <laughs> which is <Yeah. laughs> a compliment from an author because infamously, like Stephen King hated Kubrick's version of The Shining, which is a masterpiece of horror. Well, apparently everybody hated it. I found out today that it was nominated for a Razzie for worst picture of the year in 1980, which is pretty yeah. based. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like I love that these stodgy old guys that were used to like the, that's not a 1950s picture. That's not Spartacus. That's, that's not paths of glory. I, I don't get it. Going, going on the tangent, but yeah, like it's just like people just hate Kubrick back then. Uh, a lot of Kubrick movies took a while to find the footage, and that's one of them too. <laughs> just like, how can you think that movie was shitty after watching The Shining? Honestly, <laughs> probably because he's like kind of infamously a giant asshole, uh, famously isolating Shelley Duvall on the set to <laughs> try get a better insane. performance and like literally drove the actress insane. But yeah. we're not talking so, about you... Stanley Kubrick today. We might, we might, in the future. Yeah, possibly future, but today we're talking about high fidelity. And yeah, this movie starts and ends with Cusack. From from what I'm seeing in the production, it was his drive. Like he loved the book, and it was his drive to kind of put it in there. And I could I didn't read the book, but Tommy, from what you know about John Cusack, and from what he, the performance he gives, do you feel like the character in the book is very? It's like Nick Cornsby wrote the character with john cusack in mind you can kind of see because the character um meanwhile it's been about like 12 years since i wrote the book but um you know i, I remember that in the book the characters came off as very cool very like you know very knowledgeable and very kind of like charming geeky in the way that john cusack is in this movie and you've seen it before that john cusack is really passionate about music he's had uh great movies like gross point blake where a uh well um a lot of that movie is just pretty much just a great soundtrack at the at the core of it. And Johnny Kisek is very much in that mold where you can wouldn't even be shocked if he had just as much vinyl as Rob Gordon does in this movie. <laughs> yeah, t- there was one interesting point where he's he's in his fight his fight with his girlfriend Laura. They're they broke up, but they're kind of not breaking up, and it's because he's immature. He's an asshole, self described asshole, and I think part of what i enjoyed about this movie is that you know him and his relationship with laura is the whole movie and it's like a sweet ending and it works out in not a typical rom-com fashion because in a typical rom-com 
your studio rom-coms the guy that or the girl that gets broken up they don't get back with the person that did the dumping and this whole movie just really examines that and has cusack examining his past and examining his his future and yeah i i think it it's interesting you know i said to you last night when i was watching this for the first time i said does anybody have a more comforting anxiety than john cusack He's very much up there where um, a, a lot of movies just him ranting about like, why am I still single? Like what has gone wrong in my past relationships? What has gone wrong in my life? Why am I still on this track over and over and over again? <laughs> yeah. And, he, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. He, he goes into a lot of tangents and, it, you know, you mentioned the narration just before, and I think there's a lot of good narration movies. If it, when it fails, it fails. But when you think of like a good fellas, like that's just an incredible, use of it this is only similar to like ferris bueller where i can think of another movie where the character is narrating breaking the fourth wall as effectively but this does it about a hundred times more than it does in ferris bueller and it's what that's what it's unique about it it's john cusack just talking to us the audience and this is one of the the more one of the more profound ones i found to be in the movie top five things i miss about laura one sense of humor very dry but it can also be warm and forgiving and she's got one of the best all-time laughs in the history of all-time laughs she laughs with her entire body two she's got character or at least she had character before the ian nightmare she's loyal and honest and she doesn't even take it out on people when she's having a bad day that's character three i miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry, and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as your senses are concerned, just feel like home. I really dig how she walks around. It's like she doesn't care how she looks or what she projects, and it's not that she doesn't care. It's just she's not affected, I guess, and that gives her grace. Number five, she does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. It just kills me. Believe me, I mean, I could do a top five things about it that drive me crazy, but it's just your garden variety, women, you know, schizo stuff. And that's the kind of thing that got me here. Yeah, this is incels before they were incels. Like, John Cusack is, he plays Rob Gordon. He's the protagonist. And He's very open about it. It's a live journal, essentially. And it's not that he hates women. It's that he just has those thoughts about women that wouldn't fly today. And I think one thing that's related is, you know, you get sucked into an echo chamber of Twitter, or Instagram, your social media feed. A lot of people are very rational and still might have those feelings about the opposite gender, especially when they're mad. And I don't think it's worth criticizing. That's where it's like, it's not incelish but he has those thoughts that very wrong <laughs> very ashel very very blunt but if he goes down a different path he's you know if he doesn't get back together with laura spoiler he you know he's that person commenting on online oh, women they always screw you blah, 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 which is it's just strictly not true because a lot of it's, times people yeah 
it's it's one of those things that like very delicately rob could be um you know even when we're watching the movie you realize like okay rob is kind of just like an asshole like oh my god i don't can't remember why i didn't think about this like the first time i saw it but you're kind of just enveloped in the character so much and just like the rich dialogue and just like how quirky he is and everything like that you kind of forget it at some points which is a little interesting to think about because like you know he put john cusack as much as he plays great in anxiety, he also plays a great asshole. And this character is, by <laughs> very must, definite standard, is just a huge asshole. Just a huge piece of shit when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, but not not in an off-putting way. He's just a, no. he's just a child that didn't grow up. That's, that's yeah, his... He's an immature asshole. He's a jackass, but on anything. Yeah. Which is why, like, examine, they spend some... And it's kind of got that similar Dickens, you know, uh, Scro- you know Ebenezer Scrooge kind of thing to him not that they're similar characters at all but you know they exam he spends most of the movie examining his past examining himself and examining the future right like there's a parallel hmm. there that i that i was i kind of started to pick up on that it's you know seeing scrooge a month ago oh there's like there's a pattern here that i maybe wouldn't that, have the up asshole on. redemption arc <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, it's also the way he delivers it. Like, assholes like John Cusack exist because they're smooth in their delivery and they're funny about it. Like, you can be an asshole if you're funny. That's kind of how people yeah. like that get by. If you deal with, like, a true asshole who's not funny and doesn't have a sense of humor about themselves, it's never a good experience. You, you, you do the one that, yeah, take a joke and just, like, you know, just laugh at himself. Like, yeah, I know I'm an asshole. <laughs> so... Those types. Yeah. And I th- yeah, I think one of the other strengths too is that John Cusack in this movie, he kind of in- envelops like, I- it was nice to see a movie that's a coming of age story, but it's for people in their 20s and 30s. It's, it's most coming of age stories are about 16 year olds figuring out their path of life at 18. And it just isn't what happens in life and you get stuck at a working at a record store that wasn't one of your top five dream jobs or anything it's one of those things that i found to be very very refreshing because a lot of studio rom-coms don't have that kind of yeah they they don't really show the quarter life crisis that goes on abroad but pretty much he's stuck in limbo where um you know kind of similar to like last week um uh, with licorice pizza for uh, two weeks in a row, we've covered characters that are pretty much just stuck in limbo, stuck in the rest of development, where you're not really sure what's going on right now. I mean, like, he's like, yeah, cool, I own a record store, but, like, he even jokes in the movie himself, like, it's not really making that much money, uh, customers, you know, not that much business, I just kind of just own the place, and now it's what it is. <laughs> he's just kind of stuck there, you know? Yeah, he's kind of a failing business. Um, he has his two employees that just, that that commit that he's paying for three days a week, but they're there every day, which is Jack Black, who plays Barry, and Todd Lusau, who plays Dick. Uh, and they're the two polar opposites on the spectrum. And that, that's where the humor kind of comes in, too, is, is playing off of just such quirky, quirky characters and playing off of so much of that kind of... Very typical, like the opposite spectrums of like the fam spectrum, right there. Where, um, yeah, you know, I, as someone that uh, hangs out in record stores a lot and like you know has a lot of friends that are very obsessed with music, I know a guy who's exactly like Jack Black's character who's very loud and obnoxious, as you can expect Jack Black to be in the movie. 
but in a way that is endearing to me. <laughs> um, and then you have uh, Todd, the other character, um, who is just very quiet, quiet and mellow. And like, you know, he tells a story, he kind of tell takes forever to tell that story and can't really get to the point of it. And it's very shy and a little bit, you know, it's the two upper spectrums you see all the time at concerts in the music scene, you know, <laughs> the oaf and the kind of like shy, sensitive type. <laughs> yeah, it, well, they're, they both, and they both grow too. It's nice to see them grow and it's not really a focal point. It's just, this is the environment. This is what's happening in the scene. And this is what's happening around Rob's life. Like just, just these guys are growing too. Like they're not going to be at that record store forever. I think the best way to kind of contrast it and give you an understanding is Jack Black's intro because Jack Black is kind of a one note guy, but I think it, it's a, it's a very elevated one note. It's different than a Keanu one note and it can work. It, it's like a one to two note kind of kind of it, it can it can fit in a lot of things it fits <laughs> that, in a no. lot of and th- a lot of things but just to you got to just understand how electric he is like he just jumps off the screen the second he walks in oh shiite what the fuck is that it's the new Bell and Sebastian. That- it's the record we've been listening to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume? buddy uh i was just trying to cheer us up so go ahead put on some old sad bastard music see if i care i don't want to hear old sad bastard music barry i just want something i can ignore here's the thing i made that tape special for today my special monday morning tape for you special well, it's fucking monday afternoon you should get out of bed earlier come on dude play it don't you want to hear what's next what's next play it say it Little Latin loopy loo. <laughs> Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels? No! The Righteous Brothers. Well, never mind. No, not never mind. You tell me right now what's wrong with the Righteous Brothers. Nothing. I just prefer the other. Bullshit! One. How can it be bullshit to state a preference? Since when did this door become a fascist regime? Since you brought that bullshit tape in. Oh, man, that's great. That's the fun thing about working in a record store. You get to play crappy pap you don't even want to listen to. I just. I thought this tape was gonna be a fucking conversation stimulator, man. I was gonna ask you for your top five records to play on a Monday morning and all that, and you just had to fucking ruin it. Hope we'll do it next Monday. No! I wanna do it now! I can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week, and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. He comes in like the Tasmanian devil. Like, he, he is Taz. He just comes in like... Immediately comes in, steals the movie right there, um, you know, and just put so much energy and so much of that Jack Black, just like rock star, just kind of like 
goofy, awkward kind of like fat guy energy right there, which is just amazing. Just I love it. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's like one of the best character intros in any movie I've seen, where it's just immediately like, okay, this character's wanting a lot of fun in this movie. Yeah. I, I wanted to say I really want a credit Richard Linklater for School of Rock because making somebody who's really a character actor and it's like a it's a one note and it's like very uniquely Jack Black too. I don't really know anybody else that can pull it off quite like that. Where it's yeah. like it's kind of a douchebag, but the energy you just it's it's magnetic. It pulls you in and like he's a lovable awesome. douche. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's 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 lovable. You want to just give him a big old hug, you know, um, and making that lead character work, it, it elevated his career. School of Rock is Jack Black's peak. Like that's where he just takes off and becomes I'm, an A-lister. It's one of those things that I'm shocked. I watched that movie for the first time last year. Um, but Richard Linklater, just the combo of them, which Richard Linklater did Days of Confusion and did fucking School of Rock and just pantheon of great movies with great soundtracks, which we'll get to later. <laughs> Oh yeah, we'll we'll touch on soundtracks a little bit later, um, but yeah, I, you have to talk about like the love, the just the awesome characters. Uh, Marie de Salle is an artist they go see at a venue, and she's like a cool, you know, she's a cool hip singer. Uh, way out of any of these guys' leads league because they're all just losers. Like they're all just losers. That's all they are. And at the end of the day, they're geeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're they're giant geeks. But she's a geek too. That's what me. That's what. That's how you become a musician. You you become a geek about that sort of thing, and she, you know, she's just so cool and so uh, hip, and it's everything that everybody else in this movie really isn't. And then, compared to like Laura, you know, hit one of his girlfriends versus his long term girlfriend, who the movie's really about. I thought Ibn Hajij was excellent in this. I thought she played a really grounded performance in a movie that needs that ground because it makes those moments real yeah everybody else is a little bit of a cartoon character kind of just floating through you need the rob. one straight person to really like ground it and just make make it be like okay like i know this is a little zany right here i know you're a little like, just a bit like out there with like your kind of quirks right here you need someone that's not as if she was just as zany as uh john cusack the movie wouldn't work it would just be kind of a weird quirky indie <laughs> yeah and you need that character specifically the antagonist, the love interest, whatever you want to call it, they're, you know, the person that that broke the person's story who's telling its heart, you know, the she is the inciting incident for everything. And it makes those moments all too real. Cause that's when John Cusack isn't really laying on the humor. That's when it's straight drama, is when they're together. Yeah. And it's that blur of drama and comedy really really effective and it i think it all revolves around laura being such a rounded character and also being like a heavy plot mover for it and only in her when she's in there except towards the end when they start getting back together does it really shine you know you know it just makes the movie yeah. have such an impact because you kind of know when you need to be serious and when you need to Take a chill. Lay it off. Yeah. Relax. It, it's it's a very good like kind of mix of it where it kind of feels kind of more like real life where you know this guy's quirky, but he's also going through this crazy relationship problems right now, mostly caused by him. Um, but you know, in a way, you kind of make, make it realize why they work together that, like, you know, like to say opposites attract. Uh, if like I said, we wouldn't want to 
very the different version of this movie where they're both uh avid record collectors and they're both do this insane hobby together because that would be as fun because you know you need an audience surrogate too to be like okay like explain to me your life right here john cusack <laughs> you know yeah absolutely and and also on that because uh, Jack Black was great, but I also saw, thought Todd Lusau as Dick is like the perfect playoff of it too. He looks exactly like Gunther from Friends. Like I first was like, is yeah. that the same guy? Because they kind of look similar. You know, Jack Black's your extrovert, loud, obnoxious, in your face. And, and yeah. Dick couldn't try to run farther from any kind of confrontation, any argument, anything. And he's just, he digs his music, man. And, and he's not trying Wait. to start a fight about it. The way he speaks, uh, Todd's um, character is just so fucking funny. Where it's just like, oh, oh yeah, man. Like, uh, I, I'll, I'll let him know for sure about that, man. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get around. He's not, he's not a stoner. He's not that kind of level. But it's more just like kind of like the awkward, like just trying to be chill, but like almost like a Michael Sarah a little bit, you know? Yeah, it, it is a Mike. Like Mike, if Michael Sarah was of age when this was being made, Michael Sarah is probably cast in this role. You know? Yeah. It's it's the Michael Sarah, and I I'm kind of glad it's not Michael Sarah because it's a little bit different awkwardness. Michael Sarah's awkwardness seems genuine, like oh that's how this guy is. This felt more. This is a character who like can't communicate with anybody whatsoever. This is the like, type of guy that um, I gotta imagine mostly stays at home most nights and just listens to records by himself and doesn't really interact with people. So. It's yeah. more so awkwardness, not from social anxiety, but more from like he doesn't talk to anyone. <laughs> and and you see him grow. He starts uh, dating um, a customer who who what who what was her name again? I it, it was uh, Anna. It was yeah, it's Anna. It's Sarah Gilbert. Oh, make a yeah. nice little character cameo in there, and you know you start to see his confidence. Like you know they're like. Oh, we're gonna go to the show later. I can't actually. I, I got something to do. And Jack Black's like, "You got a date? You got a date?" And he's like, "You know, he's just it's a it's an extra pep in his step. Like you could tell he's like, yeah, yeah, I fucking did it. You know, like it's that kind of confidence where it's he doesn't know how to even show it. Yeah. It's not even anxiety. It's just like I don't know how to do this. I've just been alone my whole life. But yeah, man, what, what I, I love somebody. What I love, what I love about the movie in general, especially in the uh, dynamic of Jack Black, John Cusack, and uh, Rob, and uh, uh, Todd rather, is that you know, like it shows kind of like the three, three different stages of fandom really, or like three different levels, where you have like you know the one who kind of keeps to himself and just does whatever, and he's fine, and like listens to music, he's very appreciative, but he's not going to go out of his way if he could get into the meet and greet, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything really. Um, then you have John Cusack who just. He's there for the vibe, whatever. He's cool. He's, he's he can talk, whatever. But he's not really like going out of his way. And you have Jack Black, who's a loud, noxious asshole. You see in the parking lot trying to funnel some beers or something like that. And it's like, oh god, this guy. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy I want to go to like a football tailgate with because he's just going to make it a grand old time. You know, funnels yeah. like that. That guy, if he was a Buffalo Bills fan, is jumping through tables. Yeah. He's he's doing everything he can. He's fucking causing havoc to say the least. Yeah, shout out Bills Mafia. Um, but th- that is like the beauty of the movie is the characters. And we talk about plot that's character driven, like last week. Like this is all character driven plot. None of this, there's not a ton of story to it. It's about a broken relationship and trying to mend the pieces. 
it's basically just a guy going through the core life crisis where he's like, what, where did they all go wrong? And then he goes back to everyone else. It's just kind of just him vibing through the different people. And even with like most of the, you know, past relationships he goes to, it's not really dramatic at its core. It's more just like being in, in the life of this character, you know, seeing what his life is like. And just like last week, this is an amazing hangout comedy. So I loved it. Oh, for sure. Um, and just one last Jack Black point. He is simultaneously the best salesman I've ever seen and the worst salesman I've ever seen. Here's just a little taste of Jack Black being a salesman, being a good old salesman. I'm looking for a record for my daughter for her birthday. I just called to say I love you. Do you have it? Yeah. Great, we have it. Great. Can I have it then? No, no, you can't. Why not? Well, it's sentimental, tacky crap. That's why not. Do we look like the kind of store that sells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. is she in a coma? Oh, okay, buddy. I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. My apologies. I'll be on my way. Bye-bye. Fuck you. Nice, Barry. Really, really nice. It was just top class. Rob, top five musical crimes perpetrated by Stevie Wonder in the 80s and 90s go. Sub-question, is it in fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter-day sins? Is it better to burn out than to fade away? Yeah, I, I, I had to just keep that last part in. It wasn't relevant to that point, but God damn it, is that a funny, is that a funny quote? It makes me it's crack up. Is it's better to burn out than fade away. It's better to burn out or to fade away. Um, and then later in the movie, it's a it's a crowded day. I think I think it's when Dick meets um, uh, Anna, and and he there's this guy who doesn't have these collection like you know classic records that you should have and jack black just is like oh you don't have this one you mean you don't have this as a staple of your collection bam puts it in his arms he's like and then he pulls out like the i can't remember which bob dylan album it was it might have been highway 61 and he's like yeah it's okay man that you don't have this you just put it right in here and you don't have to have that shame anymore and, it, and then the guy is like at the counter with like a stack of records to buy like like that's in, that's incredible salesmanship that, that- Telling it's just somebody, the elitism yeah. <laughs> at, at the other end of it, though. Yeah, the, the elitism of music, whereas the customer who comes in, you know, he would be the elitist at the country club that, that Jack Black would walk into, and he'd be like, nope, I, this guy cannot be in here. This this is an animal. Get him out of here. Get Toss him out. What's yeah. so funny about um, the scene where Jack Black's doing the selling right there, um, when I was watching this movie um, last night um, for probably like my 10th or like 15th time um when jack black is doing the selling and telling him you don't have this album you don't have this album as someone that collects vinyl i was like shit i don't have any of these albums is jack black like it's <laughs> on me right now like what should i buy this fucking shit right now should i go out <laughs> that's how good he was just as a pitch <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah for sure so i'm trying to think tommy out of the pat the prior girlfriends which one would you be most interested in there's Charlie, who is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. That was his college girlfriend. Zeta-Jones. Uh, and who who is it? Sarah, who was played by Lily Taylor. Was his was that the that was the first one? I think right. No, no, no. Lily Taylor was the one that they were both single and they had a pact that they were going to stay single together. Oh right, right. Her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and then 
Penny, right? Was it Penny or Caroline? Penny, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think it was Penny played by Joel Carter and it was his first girlfriend. They made out at under the stairs and that's a young Drake Bell, by the way, making a cameo in there, looking all that. As young John Cusack, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then his high school girlfriend, who was Caroline, who just wouldn't put out for him. That was another stark moment there, too. I, and I found with the girlfriends, it's always that stark reality, too, whenever it's the women in his life, which is interesting that I'm thinking of that now. Like, they could be... His crisis is, let me call all these old girlfriends and see what the problem was with me. And he goes out to dinner with Caroline. They do a movie. They go to dinner. And then he asks the question directly. And she's, and, and she's, she's like, well, he's like, why did you break up with me? And she goes, she goes, you broke up with me because I didn't have sex with you. And I wanted to have sex with you. And then the person I did have sex with, well, it wasn't rape because I did consent, but it was not what I asked for. I couldn't have sex for like seven years after that. I hated it. And it just becomes so real all of a sudden. Right. And then John Cusack, oh, and she leaves. And then that moment's gone. John Cusack's just like, wow. Wow. I did the dumping. I didn't even need to reach out to her. Why did I even t- go and talk to her? Like, it it's, was... it's one of those things that's contrasting where it's just like, uh, like we talked about earlier, John Cusack's character is such an asshole. But in that scene, the contrast of him, instead of being like mortified by himself by what this girl just said, he immediately is relieved. He's like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and he goes to, he has to be that narcissist and it works in the pacing of the movie's favor i I find that when you make decisions when writing characters and writing and editing movies that making the pace of it work rather than be like i like this character more or i like this character less because of it is interesting because you don't know if it actually bothered him but you know he's telling you a story and he has to keep going yeah he's just going immediately there from what i can tell he probably was just so self-centered that he didn't even think about what the girl actually said to him. And just was like, oh, well, not my fault. Whatever. Meh, move on. <laughs> right. And then he meets up with Sarah, who was his third or fourth girlfriend before Laura. And 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 she was like, and she went crazy. She was in an insane asylum. After they broke up, she was like, it was a mistake that I met somebody else. Imagine how I was with you. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, totally, totally. Like just nodding his way through the entire date. He's like, yeah, I'll call you. And you could just like you can even see it in her face in the door. And she's not in the movie a lot, but it's just like very good acting where she's just like, yeah, I knew I, I know I blew, blew this. There's no shot he's ever calling me again when he says it's, that. it's a Lily Tutter's like desperation character where it's just like you go on and it's just like, oh, my God, this character is just like. Oh, it's sad. It's, it's sad. sad. Yeah, it, it, you can tell a character that's just broken right there. And yeah, like you said, in that doorway, she's just gonna really tell, like, I fucked up. <laughs> just that anxiety that comes off her. Yeah, she's she's very anxious, and Laura is kind of that opposite of just she's cool, calm, collected. She's a professional lawyer. She knows she likes to have a good time. She knows how to hang out and. That's why I think they work so well together because she needs his zaniness and he needs her groundedness. That's what keeps them together. And, mm-hmm. and during the movie, for most of the movie, they're separated until Laura's father's death. And she's dating his old neighbor, Ian Raymond, better known as Ray, 
played by Tim Robbins, who is awesome, man. He, he, he's, yeah, that, you he's love that. that. <laughs> he's that two minute cameo, man. That's just so perfect. Like dressed like a douchey hippie. <laughs> it's so wonderful. The, the douchey earthy hippie guy that like, um, one of the things that I love about this movie is how John Cusack describes characters, um, by their music taste. And with, uh, Tim Robbins here. He's like, oh, he listens to whatever world music is popular this week and shit. So just immediately, you know, this is like the guy that is at the farmer's market all the time being that asshole that's just asking about the difference between the quinoa and the guacamole or some bullshit. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> he he's just great. And he walks into the record store and they have that nice montage of what Rob would like to do to him, which is just like collectively beating the shit out of him with the guys. Like all like I think Dick takes the takes the uh air conditioner out and starts like bashing it in over him. And it, it has like cheap effect there, and it just it works in that kind of like this is his memory as he's like, Hey man, you gotta stop stalking her. Also, is it a writer in John Cusack's like career that he has to be yelling outside of a window? <laughs> I, I, especially in this movie yeah it's like so many times throughout uh, high fidelity john cusack is uh yelling outside the window of like his ex-girlfriend whether it's laura or one of the other five exes that we meet throughout the movie where he's just like hey fucking give me a chance out here and it's just always pouring rain and just fucking you almost expect him to pull out the boom box or say anything you know just yeah. <laughs> the typical cusack move <laughs> The the other one we didn't talk about, the girlfriend, was Charlie, who was played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who was great in this. She looked, this was her in her prime, to yeah. say the least. And <laughs> yeah. he goes, she, he goes to a dinner party with her again, and it's all her and her hip friends. And he's he comes to the realization that he doesn't like any of the things that he used to like about her, whether it was her political opinions, her dialogue. And from what I took from it and just seeing how her character interacted, it's because they're very similar. They're both self-centered, narcissistic assholes. And what only thing that matters is what's going on in their universe and everything else is out the window. That's why they don't get a lot. That's why it doesn't work because he can't stand somebody just like himself. Yeah, exactly. It's just, like, like I said, opposites attract. And when um, he's just calling out pretty much just like she's narcissistic, like she doesn't, she doesn't care about anyone else. And she's just like, you know, all this other things he listed. They're all flaws that reflect himself where it's just like, yeah, dating. I wouldn't want to date like a mere version of myself. <laughs> you know? I feel like most oh. people could say the same. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And the one last thing we do need to talk about is... The soundtrack because how can you have a conversation about this movie without the soundtrack everybody gonna be happy by the kinks oh sweet nothing the velvet underground most of the time bob dylan shipbuilding elvis costello and the attractions cold-blooded old times by smog and the inside game by royal trucks it's and it closes out Close out with, I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an excellent, a... excellent blend. It's an excellent, excellent blend of genres and styles. And you just get the idea of his eclectic music taste. It's cool. Cause, cause I have this album on uh, vinyl actually. Um, so it's one of those Nerd. things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the second I saw it in the record store that day, um, I was like, 
I gotta, I gotta fucking get the high fidelity soundtrack. But it's almost like it's just like listening to like Rob's uh, mixtape, where you know you have a good mix of artists, like you said right there, but, uh, everywhere from like Bob Dylan to a Stevie Wonder song, which uh, maybe seek out Stevie Wonder after uh, watching this movie like a couple years ago. So it's just one of those things that you can put this on. It's just like a good mix of alt rock, classic rock stuff. And I, uh, to transition, this would probably be in my top five uh, soundtracks overall of any movie. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Top five lists of movie soundtracks. Let's go. So um, if uh, we haven't really touched on this, but you probably heard this in the clips, but in this movie, they always, the characters in the record store always talk about their top five things, like top five uh, songs about death, top five uh, Monday morning soundtracks, like Jack Black said. So in the spirit of that, we're going to go for our own top five list and we'd love to have you do it yourself. So, wait, uh, Timmy, I'll get, start you off. What are your top five movie soundtracks of all time? Well, yeah, you kind of put me on the spot, like right before we recorded. So I was panicking, coming up with a list. And <laughs> it's like, hey, man, I'm going to ask you this question. Thank God you told me before. Oh, talk about being unprepared. So kind this of would have been a little... like a five minute awkward silence right there. Yeah, I didn't well, tell you. <laughs> well, I would have better did it out. But I went with what do I think are like the most impactful, famous kind of like legacy and then so i have pulp fiction okay top gun dazed and confused guardians of the galaxy and greece all right yeah those are all very solid ones um timmy and i were in greece so shout out to that (laughs) back in the day greece baby (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. greece is the word uh so uh, I went with more of a list of like what ones I've listened to the most and still listen to on repeat where I'll just put the sound and be like a cool playlist for the day. So um, in no particular order, High Fidelity, as we mentioned, um, I have the only soundtrack I have on vinyl right now. So one that I'll put on just, you know, random Sunday morning, let me listen to this nice mix of uh, 60s rock and 70s rock and just whatever John Cusack's character would have wanted. Uh, number four, and this is the second CD I ever bought. It was the soundtrack to Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Very Tommy. Yeah, yeah. I love the Edgar Wright movies. So uh, I listen to a lot. 80s rock. Uh, then Daisy Confused like Timmy. And Guardians of the Galaxy, just like Timmy said, too. I used to be the type in college that would put on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack late at night. And that usually be how everyone cleared out at the end of the night. <laughs> so um, and then number one. My specialty, the Tommy takes over the ox and everyone leaves. <laughs> it's great. It's a great part. Uh, so, and number one is for me, Anchorman. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do tell, please. So, uh, Anchorman is very similar to the Guardians of the Galaxy and like Daisy Confused soundtrack that's very 70s based. And it's very 70s, like RB and rock based, where you listen to some songs on there. Like they have Carry On My Wayward Son and they have um, Sunshine by Jonathan Edwards. Um, two songs that you put on. It's just like a great 70s lounge vibe and you listen to this. It's so much fun. This is like fucking great. I've honestly only seen Anchorman maybe like maybe like five or ten times. But the soundtrack I've listened to almost consistently for the past fucking 16 years. <laughs> I, I like your range of movies, times you've seen them. You know, most people would be like, ah, oh, five or six. You're like, five to ten, somewhere in there. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it's, it's not like I keep track of all my movies, you know. <laughs> so it's, you got to do a guesstimate right there. <laughs> and 
Well, I like the difference of our picks because I kind of looked at them as like iconic, like because I just didn't put the time in and I don't listen to enough movie soundtracks to say. To be fair. Oh, (laughs) this is my favorite. I just don't. But like I have listened to Pulp Fictions. I pulled it up. I, I mean, Cruel in the Gang, like like get down get down like you hear that you just think of the opening a uh, quarter pounder with cheese what do they call them yeah. franks that's what you think of top gun i think for best like original soundtrack like the top gun anthem danger zone the danger zone <laughs> I, I i it's just iconic to that movie and top gun's not a great movie but it's great parts are great and kenny loggins is a big reason of that i've never seen that one. Ooh teaser maybe teaser and maybe <laughs> days of confused i think is the best like just like hangout vibe just like this is 1976 baby in mm. in may and this is what's on the radio right now this is what's hip this is what the kids are listening to it's just perfect it hits all the notes guardians the- i think it's the best modern example and i think it's the most unique thing any of the marvel movies have is that kind of dictated sound soundtrack it's weird about the marvel movies because um outside of guardians of the galaxy could you name like a song or like a score from one of the marvel movies i'd be like oh yeah that's that's from marvel wherever yeah not really yeah it 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 brought up uh what's the intro song um come and get your love yeah come and get your love love. like that made that song relevant again that song was dead not even Q1043 would play that. Yeah, that was a very obscure song from the 70s or 80s. Um, so it's crazy because that's the fucking theme song of Bill Burr's like animated show now, too. So it's just all of a sudden now everyone wanted to use that song. <laughs> yeah, and, and I picked Grease because I, I don't know how you can't just love the soundtrack. It's so different from the actual Broadway musical. It's 50s, 70s, like blent together. And it, it's, I could throw on any pretty much any song from that movie you pick five or six and i could just listen to it and just enjoy it um, and pretend we're back in high school doing the play <laughs> yeah well maybe but oh <laughs> fun fact uh one of the cool things we did have in our high school production of greece is we had carol demas visit us like a week or two i wasn't there the that day <laughs> Yeah, because you were just this. second. You were just a secondary character. Oh, uh, I, was, I was the radio guy. So this is how I got into podcasting. This is the that, pipeline of Greece. Greece to it podcasting. Was, <laughs> it was the it was the right uh, it was the right cast for you. But she, yeah. Carol Demas, was the original Sandy on Broadway. Like she brought the role to life originally. Like and what led to led to Sandy becoming like an iconic movie character. And it was very interesting to hear it from her perspective. And it was just such a cool thing. Cause that's kind of like, that's such an iconic character and you don't associate it with, with her, you associate it with Olivia Newton, John yeah. to see the person who actually brought the character to life for the first time. Really cool experience. I just want to, do, you, do you remember, do you remember anything that she said back then? I mean, I know it was like what, 10 years later, but <laughs> uh, not, not particularly. I remember, her saying, like talking about her relationship with the guy who played Danny that I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but that was kind of like the big thing. It was more about like the production and then her talking about how big it became after the movie. Like, and it was kind of weird in that regard because she was kind of getting completely overshadowed. But this is not a podcast about Grease, Tommy. 
this is a podcast about high fidelity. That it is. And I, the one last thing I wanted to touch on, because uh, at the end, Laura's dad dies and John Cusack goes to the wake and they get back together from that point because she's just like street griff driven and just wants something familiar in her life. And at this point, John Cusack has kind of grown up a little bit. I love how he proposes to her in the most like John Cusack way, just sitting at a bar, telling him, telling her about the fantasy of the girl and what it is, which is to him, like, you don't know any of her problems, even though they're there. That's the fantasy. That's what allures people to always wanting to move on to the next girl, which he found his problem to be explaining that to her and be like, and I've been sitting here thinking, what if we get married? And it was just, it was very unique to that character. And I think John Cusack is one of the few actors that could deliver it that well. Yeah. So this is, this is one question I want to bring up real quick. I don't know if you're going on this tangent too, but um, do you buy that um, or rather, do you think that Rob deserves Laura in the end? Do you think that he like kind of made up or anything like that? Or how do you feel about the end and conclusion of them being together again? No, because I just think in reality, the big fight and the big issue of it was that he cheated on her. And at the same time, Laura had gotten pregnant and he told Laura while she was pregnant about it and she decided to get rid of the child. And I think a problem like that in a relationship is just too much to tackle. I get it in the context of the movie, but I don't personally know if something that traumatic happens to you that you're you would be able to get back into that relationship. But it's a movie and it's it's I it's don't a it's, movie. Not, it's not a plot point and there are people that would make it work and make it work for a happy life. I just yeah. for me for me personally and my feelings, I would say, oh that's just the, it would be tricky because it's one of those things you never see the rom-com that's like uh this couple survive 20, 40 years later. <laughs> So if you, if you pick this up 10 years later, they're probably divorced. I, I yeah, I, I can't imagine that they would be still together, you know, like 10, 15 years later, unfortunately. Yeah. Much I, I love it. Yeah. And I, I think it, the ending's deserved. And it's one of the things I love about movies like this. That's the, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. I think it could get divorced, but you can watch it and think they just lived happily ever after. They went through all of that and they're back together. Great. We don't need to see the divorce part. <laughs> I wish a lot of Hollywood would pick up on. We don't need to see the rest of the story. It would just work well like, in this encapsulated <laughs> little bit. You know what I mean? Something well, I, like I, was thinking I don't like know, every, Ghostbusters 2016. Just had to mention it. That was the first one right there. But um, I was, it was thinking, on the spot. Like, you know, what if, it was on the spot. Um, I was thinking, like, what if every rom com had like a coda at the end, or like a um, almost like an Avengers and um, like post uh, post credit scene, where it's just like. This couple got divorced like five years later. <laughs> kind of like the end of Animal House, but like the with the right before the credits roll, where they say we're all yeah. the, we're all the <laughs> all the characters end up like Pluto ended up in the in the uh, in the Ford administration as Secretary yeah. of State or whatever. It's just yeah, like yeah. it just fades to black, and it's like John and Laura got happily married on December first, uh, two thousand and one, and then just like a file text, they divorced four years later. <laughs> John, right, right lives with his, John lives with his mother Laura remarried her a partner at a firm <laughs> like that that's just the movie no exactly and, it's like right right after the scene of them being like I love you and I'm gonna commit to you for the rest of my life they got divorced five years later 
and it, and, it, and then it just and then it ends with <laughs> Barry still works at the record store. <laughs> Barry, Barry has never left. Some Barry, say he lives there. <laughs> Barry, Barry now lives in the record store. <laughs> Chicago rents got too high. Barry now lives in the record store. <laughs> man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. <laughs> That's right, baby. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a big, bright, shining star. This is, might be the trickiest one. This is, I think, the closest for me. What about you? Because you've seen this enough to know who it is and who who it maybe should be. I I mean, I think that sometimes I go a, little, a very literal with this, but as much as Jack Black is the runner-up for me, because he, like I said, he steals the movie the second he walks in, and the second any scene he's in, he honestly becomes the focal point because of how crazy and extroverted and um, loud and obnoxious this character is, but to the benefit of the movie. That being said, John Cusack carries this movie. Um, You couldn't have this movie work if John Cusack was played by an actor that couldn't sell monologues to the camera constantly and talking about shit over and over and over again. We're like, you're hearing this guy talk about earlier, like the scene we said about the top five things I miss about Laura. Um, you know, that could be very boring because it's almost just like character details and character stuff. But John Cusack makes it in a way that's like, you know, a guy talking to you about like, you know, this bad breakup you went through and like, you know, this is the things I really miss about her and stuff. And he really relates to the character. So for me, it's John Cusack. I, I, I would agree with you. You know, I think in a, if, if it didn't have the narration of the of John Cusack and this was structured more traditionally, it didn't have narration, it would be Jack Black and it wouldn't even be close. But because it's not even just voiceover narration, like if we were, if we ever got found somebody that hasn't seen Goodfellas, right? Mm-hmm. Like Ray Liotta drives the movie forward, but it's Joe Pesci is the star of the show, right? Like in, in mm-hmm. this, where in this one, because he is breaking the fourth wall, he is talking directly to you. And it's probably 25% of the movie is just him breaking the fourth wall, talking to you. You cannot have this movie work without John Cusack. It is a John Cusack vehicle in the most literal sense. And I think Barry is one B, right? Like one C. He is. Yeah. It, it's it's one and two are are neck and neck. You know, it's it's a photo finish, but you have to give John Cusack it because the movie would still be pretty good without that ener- without Barry's energy, without Jack Black bringing that thunder. There's nobody else who would really make this movie work, in my opinion. In the role exactly. of Rob, hundred percent. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Okay. I'm sure you've thought about this even before we started doing this, because you are a Muppet head, self-proclaimed. You have a you have like a Muppet head on the back of your car, you know, a little bumper sticker. I do. Like, would this work as a Muppet adaptation? <laughs> no. Simple as that. I mean, I, I've yet to have one on the podcast. That I think that, that this would honestly benefit. Um, it would be bizarre because this is more of just like a character, very realistic and grounded movie for the most part, other than the characters. The quirkiest thing is that the characters are obsessed with pop culture and talk about it nonstop, which you and I do <laughs> and a lot of our friends. So uh, there's not really anything uh, very zany or muppety that I could think that would very work. Um, but I would love to see Jack Black's character be played by the animal from uh, Muppets. So. 
Right. I, that's all you need. That's that's all you had to say. That would work, right? Yeah. Or or uh, Dick is played by Kermit. Yeah. Ah! Oh, oh, oh no! I I just like I just prefer the the Righteous Brothers version. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. re- so review time, Tommy. All right. What's so, your review? Um, this has been one of those movies that um, came up in a very foundational moment in my life, where um, I can honestly see this movie being a branch point of why I've been um, at the point where I already was obsessed with music, but got even more deeper and deeper, and then eventually to the point where I bought a record player, and now to the point that I work in the concert industry, music industry, and work a lot, and a lot, but where I trace back is because I watched this movie, and I read this book at a perfect time in my life, and it's honestly a reason why I have a lot of things. Um, it's like Roger Ebert said, uh, who he gave this movie four, uh, four stars out of four, so Ebert loved this movie. <laughs> um, he said, uh, watching High Fidelity, I had the feeling that I could walk out of the theater and meet the same people on the street and want to, which is an even higher compliment. And it's one of those things that I agree fully. You know, I could easily see myself being friends with these characters. I could easily see myself being just as geeky about the records and uh, geeky about the music. And on top of everything like that, it gives a honestly a good story of just the character learning to grow up and get over him fucking self and realize that, hey, like you're kind of an asshole and hey, maybe th- some things that you did not are great about. So at the end of this whole long, long-winded speech, I'd say five out of five stars. Um, this is one of my favorite movies and I love this movie. Yeah, this is obviously not a foundational movie to me, but I would say for me, this is a four out of five. This is a really strong romantic comedy. And I could even imagine the score going up on a rewatch, which there will be. I will watch this movie. This might make a yearly or bi-yearly turn into this into the cycle. It's it's that good. The editing and the screenplay working in harmony to just deliver this really fantastic pace that a lot of rom- romantic comedies don't have because a lot of typical romantic comedies are kind of driven by a, f- a structure and they all kind- they all follow very 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 similar beats and that's why people love them they love the comfort of that story being told to them this isn't that far off it's not like licorice pizza where licorice pizza is doing its own thing you know story-wise this is this has, is a more structured story there is a plot to it that you understand mm-hmm. what's going on to it here the performances are excellent. I also felt like the movie was very cin- cinema cinematographics. I just it, w- it wasn't even the lighting. I just felt there's a lot of stills that you just want to put as like a background or put in a poster. It just had those moments uh, where Barry's organizing his uh, records in the store, or Rob chronologically by obtaining the record, putting it in, and it's all on the ground. It's just it has those images that I like that stick with you where the movies keeps going and you're just like, damn, that was like a that was a great image. So four to five for me. I really enjoyed this. Also, really quickly, I want to shout out Rob's apartment. Tommy, would that be your dream apartment? Um hundred percent. I mean, already in my apartment right now. Um, obviously this is over Zoom and you'll listen to this uh, just the audio. But my post, uh, my apartment to begin with is just filled with like music posters right now. I'm seeing like a Queen poster up here, Cheap Trick and shit like that. And on top of that, I mean, I have a decent amount of vinyl, but Rob has probably like thousands upon thousands. My vinyl is probably only a little over a hundred at this point. 
But if I had anything closer of Rob that, I'd just be like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> and Tommy, what do you store your records on? Um, a bookshelf that I half built, I guess. Or uh, yeah, 80% you, of the job you, I get. You built it. Yeah, 80% of the, and it's like 95% because it works, it's structured. But Tommy yeah. posts this on Instagram and then simultaneously in our group chat. And me being the snarky, dick i have to be sometimes to tommy yep. just to keep him in check just to make sure he's okay i i'm just the first thing i notice in this post is that one of the shelves is installed backwards <laughs> like one of the one of the shelves is it's supposed to be a white base and it's just the cork on the outside and i'm just like tommy are you was, kidding me you built this ikea shelf and you have the thing built wrong and like that's all that was all i could do and it was annoying you i could tell it was annoying you You're it was like, it was annoying say my record it, collection's cool damn it no, because it's one of those things that, like, I spent maybe, like, a few hours making this goddamn bookshelf, and I didn't notice that until you pointed it out, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> um, so, when I posted it on Instagram, um, uh, I chose a filter that made it very dark, and now there's no way you can see the fuck up. <laughs> because I, like, I was like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> We're going to post that that post is going to be cross post onto our Instagram feed. You're going to, you have to see the epicness of this shelf. Just maybe it's just inside jokes and we're going to let you in on, on the inside here, much yeah. like we do with our pal, Rob Schneider. But I, 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 it must've just been the combination of you spending five hours putting that fucking thing together. And then me, the first person to respond to it is just like, dude, the shelf's on wrong. What the fuck, Tommy? <laughs> And like, and like, I'm gonna be and like, just overly critical. And I, I said, I said to someone that I was talking to, like trying to, trying to text, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so I guess I'm not, I'm not known as a builder. <laughs> Tommy the builder, I am not. <laughs> that's why it's Bob the builder, not Tommy the builder. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's it for this week of haven't seen it. Um, we hope you enjoyed. Please leave a five-star review, subscribe on Apple and Spotify, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, both at SeenItPod. Tommy, any final remarks? Um, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, get ready for next week. <laughs> next week is Legally Blonde on the pod. All right. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.